Hello, mixtresses and mixters. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy, Season 2, Episode Something, What's My Line, Part 2. This is the 22nd episode in the series, Buffy, um, and I always have to count to figure out which one it is in the season. So whatever. It's it's the second part to the What's My Line two-parter. The first of three two-parters in season two. So let's begin like we do every week. Oh, I didn't tell you um, the part of my premise that I'm supposed to say every time. I watch every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. So this is coming to you a couple days late. I apologize for that, but that's just how life happens sometimes. Um, this episode, it came out on November 24th, 1997. So today I am recording on um, my phone instead of the recorder that I usually use. So I do want to know if you notice a difference in quality. Um, do you think this sounds better than I normally sound or um, does this sound worse? Uh, it's not like I'm necessarily going to make it a habit to use my phone, but if it sounds better to you, I, I definitely want to know that information. Um, so yeah, that's just a little aside. Um, let's get some business shit out of the way first. Um, if you would like to experience other things I do on the internet, my um, website is mixtressray.com, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And I'm also Mixtress Ray on um, YouTube where I have a channel that is mostly about corsets and ASMR these days. So if you're into either of those things, <laughs> um, I, I also have my, um, I have a radio show that I do every Friday from 8 to 11 Central Standard Time. And it's usually, um, it's usually much more personal than this podcast is. So if for some reason you want to hear um, more ridiculous details about my life. Um, I talk a lot about the library, which is where I work and have worked for the last 13 years. Um, and I talk a lot about, um, just my general social anxiety and mood swings and just the inside of my crazy brain, which you've definitely heard a lot of on this podcast as well. But if for some reason you want to hear even more of that, um, you can hear it on my radio show. I also play music, of course, in between my long rambling sessions. And um, usually it's about 50-50. Um, my radio show is three hours long. There's usually close to an hour and a half of me babbling all told when you add all the segments of me talking together and um, then the other hour and a half is music. Um, I The reason why I call myself the mixtress is because I have been making mixes since really as long as I can remember but probably my first actual mixes were around the age of 10, 9 or 10, um, and I've always enjoyed making mixes. So um, that's just a little backstory in case you didn't know. If this is um, your first time listening to my podcast, welcome. I am so excited to be doing this podcast and um, it makes me incredibly happy. So let's just get into it. So like I usually do, I'm going to read the description of this episode from the book The Complete Slayer, which I do not 
recommend. It's by Keith Topping, and he is very just gross and sexist in his descriptions of these episodes. But I didn't know that before I bought the book, and I find it kind of funny to read the just the plot descriptions from this book to you guys so I can be real snarky about it. So let's get into it. Giles realizes that Kendra must have been called when Buffy briefly died. See, that's just like the worst. Like, why is that the description? Why is that the first sentence of the description? So anyway, previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Spike is um, trying to figure out a spell to restore Drusilla, who has been injured ever since we met her. She's been weak and injured ever since we met her. And um, because a mob almost killed her in Prague. So it's been sort of teased ever since they got there. Like, why are they here? What made them come to Sunnydale? And that, that question hasn't been answered until now, because apparently they came there because they needed to get the book from Giles that had the spell in it and figure out how to translate the spell, which they also needed a morgue in Sunnydale. So it's just like they didn't know everything they needed, except apparently they knew they needed that book and Giles had the book. So once they got the book, they realized that in order to translate the book, they needed to get something out of a morgue that was in Sunnydale. And then after they translated it to figure out what else they needed in the spell, surprise, surprise, they needed the vampire's original sire, which is Angel, who also happens to be in Sunnydale. So it just works out that just like all the evil things that Spike needs for his spell just happen to be in Sunnydale. So um, that's what happened in the first episode. They're they're building this up. Um, Spike has hired the Order of Taraka to kill Buffy because she keeps thwarting him and he wants to restore Drusilla's health. And it's apparently like this gang of bounty hunters that like there's just like a whole bunch of them and they keep coming and they keep coming until they get their target. So Buffy's really scared right now. Um, as we get into part two, at the very end of part one, we see her, she gets attacked by um, a woman that we have just seen throughout the episode. And we assume that she's one of the order of Taraka, but at the very end of the episode, it is revealed that she calls herself Kendra, the vampire slayer. So Buffy's like, huh? Because there's not supposed to be more than one at a time. So, that's that's where we are right now. Let's read the rest of this terrible description. I don't know why. Let's just do it. <laughs> they go to Willie's bar. Oh, wait. Kendra informs the others of her encounter with Angel. So, she tried to kill Angel because she knows he's a vampire and she's a vampire slayer. They go to Willie's bar, but Angel has been taken by Spike, who needs him as part of a ceremony to restore Drusilla's health. At this point, Kendra and Buffy do not know that um, Willie gave Angel to Spike. They just, because he, he just says, oh, he went underground. He said he's going to, he needs to heal. And Buffy just like doesn't go check on him. What the fuck? Um, Xander and Cordelia discover the perfume salesman is not human and take refuge in the basement. He is a man of bugs. <laughs> they argue, then passionately kiss before escaping. There is an attempt on Buffy's life life by the third assassin during which Oz saves Willow and is shot in the arm. Oz saves Willow's life. I just want you to take a moment to soak in that information. We'll talk more about it later. Buffy and Kendra force Willie to lead them to Spike. This is later when they figure out what he's done. Kendra refuses to go with Buffy and reports back to Giles. At the church, Buffy discovers that she has walked into a trap. Kendra attacks the assassins, 
I don't think so. I think Buffy knew exactly what the fuck she was doing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she didn't. Kendra attacks the assassins who are holding Buffy. Giles and Willow take on a couple of vampires, while Xander tricks Fister, who, Norman Fister, who is the guy, that, the man of bugs, the man of worms, into becoming stuck in liquid adhesive, and he and Cordelia stomp the worms to death. Spike takes Drusilla by Buffy. Spike takes Drusilla, but Buffy knocks him out, and everyone flees the burning church. Okay, so what really happened in that last scene? Let's just jump straight to that, apparently. Um, is Buffy, like, gets this um, incense urn, like, big brass incense urn that Spike was using earlier as part of the spell that's on a chain. And she, like, swings it around, and she throws it, and it hits Spike in the back of the head, and he topples into an organ. He's carrying Drusilla out of the church at this point because it's burning down. He topples into an organ, and the entire organ comes down on top of them, and they all leave as the church is burning down, so you assume that they're dead. Why am I jumping to this right now? <laughs> because it's the last part of the episode. Um, okay, so let's get into my notes here. Uh, I gotta tell you, I'm a little scattered because, um, like, normally I put this podcast out on Friday right after watching the episode again for a second time. I usually watch it for the first time on Thursday, and then Friday is the day that is the actual anniversary day, so I have to watch it at some point on Friday. So usually I record the podcast right after. But this time I did not, I was so brain dead on Friday that I, I just watched it and I took some notes but I just couldn't do more than that. So I have not just watched it. It's been two days since I watched it as I'm recording this. So it makes me feel a little fuzzy on the whole thing. <laughs> so sorry about that. It's just, you know, whatever. I'm scattered sometimes. That's how it works. Okay, let's get into my notes. Um, so at the very beginning of the episode, Buffy and Kendra are faced off with each other, just like they were at the very end. So it just continues immediately afterwards in the second part. And um, she's like, what? How are you a slayer? And Kendra's like, I don't know, I am. How are you the slayer? And she's like, I don't know, I am. And so they're like, okay. Buffy's like, let's call a truce. We'll go to my watcher. We'll try to figure this out. And she, she accept, Kendra accepts the terms. And they go to Giles. And Giles is flummoxed. <laughs> I, think, I think he actually says that word. He says that, to his knowledge, there's never been a point in recorded history in which two slayers were um, alive at once, which brings me back into my whole, I am just obsessed with this concept of the slayer. Um, I just, I think it's so cool the way the show has dealt with it. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I just like it. So, Okay. So Buffy was dead at the very end of season one. She drowned after the master, like, bewitched her or whatever and threw her into a pool without even fucking feeding on her, which... <laughs> what? What? Who doesn't want to feed on Slayer blood? If you're a vampire, that's going to be like your number one goal in life is to drink a Slayer's blood. And this is not the first time that someone kills a Slayer and doesn't drink her blood. Anyway... I'm not going to do that rant right now because that 
that does not happen in this episode. No one kills a slayer in this episode. Spoiler alert. Hey, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, it is not a spoiler-free podcast. So not only for the episode I'm talking about, I'll talk about the entire goddamn series. So if you're watching it right now for the first time and you don't want to hear spoilers, um, you might want to wait until you finish the series to listen to my podcast. Okay? All right. There's your warning. Um, so... I'm drinking a bubbly drink, so not only am I scattered, but I'm also burpy. <laughs> oh, best podcast ever. Okay, so what was we talking about? Uh, Jaws is flummoxed. Oh, um, so Buffy technically died after drowning for, I don't know, like a minute or two before um, Xander found her and revived her. So the whole, you know mythology of Buffy as the Slayer, which is, of course, who we're talking about here, because it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, is that she is different, because it's always been the Slayer and her Watcher. The Slayer is the chosen one, as in numero uno, one, one girl in all the world, blah, 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 blah. She's supposed to keep her identity secret, She's supposed to fight alone. She's supposed to be an instrument of evil. It's just the girl on the front lines that is told what to do by the Watcher, by her Watcher and the Watcher's Council, which is a group of mostly men over in England that just kind of like dole out orders whenever they feel like it. And so it's been a very patriarchal system up until Buffy. And Buffy is different because she has friends she has a social life she has connections to other people she and this episode is about that theme and it's you know not the first and it will not be the last that's the overall theme of the show is that you don't have to be the chosen one it is it is like the the hero storyline the messiah storyline but it's different and it's subverted because the reason why Buffy didn't die is because her friend saved her. Xander found her and he gave her CPR and she was back to life. This isn't the first and it will it's not the last time that she will be brought back by her friends. And this is um the foundation also for how the series ends, which at the end of the series um, Willow does a spell to turn every potential slayer into an actual slayer. And that whole concept of potential slayers also fascinates me. So, um, and we'll get into that in a second when we start talking more about Kendra. So let's get, let's try to get through my notes. I've already been talking for 15 minutes and I've hardly said anything. We're in the first scene. Okay. Um, so Buffy reacts strangely to Kendra she's like super jealous of her like she's been bitching and moaning about all in the last episode about how they're in the middle of career career week at school and she's very salty about it because she she doesn't she's never gonna have a career she has to be the slayer she doesn't get to engage in you know career stuff because she's already the slayer and now she's faced with another slayer that was created because she was dead for like a minute 
And so another Slayer was called because it's a mystical energy thing. So now there happens to be two. So she can share that responsibility. She's not the only one. But instead of bonding with this person immediately, she treats her as a rival. Which, this is the first time we see Buffy, like, reacting badly to a sister-type individual. (laughs) It's not the last. Um, So at least this stays consistent throughout her character. Because later, whenever Dawn is introduced, she's, you know, super annoying about Dawn. She's bitching about her all the time and like she hates her responsibilities to her little sister and then um she's like this whenever she has a roommate in college she's just like anytime there's somebody I I don't know she she has these little rivalries um I guess not that often but this is the first of a few times that she just immediately is annoyed by Kendra and she kind of mocks her and she's kind of terrible to her at first Um, because Kendra is sort of she's sort of a textbook slayer like she she was taken from her family Um, I guess so this is a good time to talk about Kendra and this whole potential situation from wherever Kendra grew up and I don't know if she specifies but I mean her um her accent is Jamaican so um one can assume that she was taken from her her parents gave her up at a very young age she doesn't even remember them so that she could train with her watcher which means that there's this whole untapped universe of potential slayers throughout the world that are being trained and like sent away and obviously that's not the type of culture that happens in America so it's understandable that this is not what happened with Buffy um and it it just it it opens up so many questions like I would love to like read a book a like fan fiction type thing where you know some they're talking about you know, the life of someone like Kendra, or maybe even Kendra, somebody that grows up knowing that they could someday become the one and only Slayer. But since there's only one, they may never, they may spend their entire lives training for something that will never happen. So I I don't know, I just find that whole thing so fascinating. Um, So they go to Giles, and they talk to Giles, and they figure it out that like, hey, you know, Buffy was dead for a second. So that's why Kendra exists done um Kendra was sent to Sunnydale because her watcher told her that a very dark power was about to rise in Sunnydale so up till this point they're still sort of putting everything together about Giles has been wondering ever since that book was taken like what it is about that book that was so important and he's finally putting it together in this episode they've been setting this up um, for several episodes now So they're finally putting it together and they're like, okay, so this very dark power is, it's got to be Drusilla. They've got to be trying to restore Drusilla. That is what was in this book. That is, has got to be the reason that Spike is here. Um, So they decide that because, what does Giles say? She's extraordinarily mad or something like that. Um, 
so that she could be very, very dangerous if restored to her full health because of how crazy she is, I guess. Um, so they think that Drusilla is the very dark power that's about to rise in Sunnydale. So they decide to go um, beat up Willie for information, who's like um, the barkeep of like a demon bar or something. He's just somebody that, you know, when you need to beat somebody up for information, it's going to be Willie. <laughs> God, Willie. And of course they named him that because it was just the most ridiculous name. Okay, so let's see. In this episode, Willie is, I mean, this is the first time we're introduced to him is in this two-parter. He was introduced in the last episode. But he is never as hands-on evil as he is in this two-parter. Like, he actively gives Angel to Spike. Um, He brings Buffy to Spike as well. So it's like he's working for Spike. And in later episodes, if if Willie's ever introduced, he's just like the guy that overhears shit and gets beat up for information. He doesn't really have any alliances usually or really give a shit about anyone, but like just making sure that he doesn't get beat up. He's this is just the only episode that he's ever like actively participating, I think to my memory. So it just seems kind of odd seeing him do that, but whatever. Um, oh, and I was, I would, I just wrote on my note notes, Buffy trusts Willie. Willie is never this hands-on evil ever again. Maybe he hasn't learned not to mess with Buffy yet. So that wasn't the way I talked myself out of that. Like, eh, he, this is the first time we're seeing them even interact. So maybe he just doesn't know that maybe later he is hands off with all of this stuff because he knows that he could, you know, get taken out by Buffy at any time. So he just stays out of shit. Maybe. I could see her being that big of a threat because she is. Um, I think this is my favorite quote of the episode. Spike says to Willie whenever Willie is handing Angel over to Spike after he almost got killed by sunlight and Willie's the one that saves him just so he can hand him over to Spike. So the only reason why Angel is spared in this episode is because Spike needs him to do this spell. Um, oh, um, Spike says <laughs> to Willie at this point, whenever he's being, when he's about to take Angel, talk and I'll have your guts for garters. <laughs> Sorry, that was the worst. I suck at impressions so bad. Okay. Um, so then we go to, um, Xander is going to, Xander and Cordelia have gone to Buffy's house to try to find her because she just did her whole, like, depression flannel hiding out at Angel's house without telling anyone where she was in the middle of being hunted by bounty hunters. Like, bitch could have picked up a phone and said, Giles, I really just need to storm off right now, so I'm gonna go to Angel's and I'm gonna spend the night, so don't worry about me. But she didn't do that. Um, so he sent Xander to go find Buffy to go to her house and check on her, um, in the last episode. So that's why, um, and he needed a ride. So that's Cordelia. Cordelia is the only one that knows how to drive out of all these people. So, um, at this point in the episode, they've just gotten into Buffy's house and they were looking for her. And, um, that's when this worm guy who's been like watching Buffy's house for a couple days, waiting for her to get home. So he could what? Like, he's just like an unassuming looking insurance salesman kind of guy, and he can 
he's a man of bugs so he turns into a bunch of worms so that way he can like go get under doorways and shit like that but then what what is he going to do how is he going to overpower someone he's just a middle-aged man and he's never shown with a weapon like how is this guy threatening like i've never questioned that before this moment it's just like okay he's really creepy because he's made of worms yes and he can like get under doorways really really quickly because he can disassemble and slither under the door in his worm state and then reassemble on the other side but like still middle-aged dude what's he gonna do how strong is he i'm pretty sure xander and cordelia could take him down and they do by the end of the episode really easily so whatever i don't get how this guy is scary um let's see the first shot that we see drew in this episode is gorgeous they're showing um it's like an aerial shot over the bed that she's laying in and it's um through like a crocheted canopy type thing that's over the bed and it's just so beautiful um so best shot of the episode if that were a thing that I awarded that's this that shot of Drew would get it for me um Spike calls her my black goddess my ripe wicked plum I love that. (laughs) Best nickname of the episode. My black goddess, my ripe, wicked plum. So this episode, we get a lot of Drusilla character development. So that's why it's, in my opinion, a very good episode. Because Drusilla is one of my very favorite characters of all time. Um, I, okay. So, oh, how much do I want to talk about that right now? Okay, let's just keep plowing through the notes before I start going off about Drusilla because <laughs> this is going to be a long episode I can tell already strap in babies okay um so at this point Angel is there Spike has brought Angel to Drusilla like hey we got the last element of the spell tonight's the full moon we're gonna do this shit and Drusilla is all weak and shit she's got all these bruises on her arms she's you know being her weakling self which is all we've ever seen her as so far and she asks spike if she can play (laughs) and angel's super weak because he almost died from sun exposure so he's he's just sort of whimpering around and he's just you know they've got him tied up or whatever but he is not really trying to get away or moving around at all anyway because he's really weak right now um so Spike leaves Angel to Drew and she tortures him. In general, I'm not into torture scenes. Like, I don't think it's hot or anything like that. But I think that Drew's torture of Angel is vindicated. Like, we've already found out because Angel told Buffy that when he created Drusilla, he's her sire, he, before he created her, he drove her mad by killing everyone she loved and um you also later find out that he posed as her priest so she confessed to him on a regular basis thinking that he was her priest and um he just sort of got into her head and tortured her and later we'll see that when angel doesn't have a soul he is just evil enough to do this to a person. So he's the reason she's crazy and he killed her entire family and turned her into a vampire. So the fact that she tortures him in this scene 
feels totally vindicated to me. So it's not the kind of torture scene that bothers me. Plus, the, the way that she tortures him is she just pours holy water on him while talking to him about um, all the terrible things that he's done to her. So um, I think that scene is... I used to, like feel kind of bad for Angel in this scene, but not anymore because knowing all the terrible things that he did to her, um, he totally deserves this moment. Um, and he wouldn't have seen it as a bad thing. He wouldn't have felt bad about it. He would have enjoyed it too much when he didn't have a soul. So that that's why she's doing this now. Like you don't ever see her torturing him or trying to torture him later whenever he doesn't have a soul and they're hanging out all the time. She's doing it now because she knows it hurts him. And she's a lot smarter than people give her credit for. So um, she does that for a while. Um, dun, dun, dun. They think Drew is a very dark power to rise in Sunnydale. So I guess that realization happens after this torture scene. Um, mm -hmm. I like that, you know, they're, this is really the only time that they, that the Scooby gang thinks of Drusilla as a genuine threat. So I like that she's getting some respect in this episode, um, even though it's in the form of, you know, being an evil villain that they're scared is going to hurt them. At least she's getting some respect in this episode. So I like that because she's one of my favorite characters ever. Um, Xander and Cordelia get together in this episode, as mentioned in the little description earlier. Um, they just sort of are yelling at each other about how much they hate each other while they're stuck in the basement hiding from the bug guy. Um stuck in Buffy's basement hiding from the bug guy and they just start making out and it's like okay sure it makes sense to me like Xander is awful to Cordelia earlier in this episode he says something to her you know he's implied and or outright called her a slut many times and he has some sort of comment I don't remember exactly what it was but it had something to do with locker room talk that he said to her earlier in this episode and it sucks that he does that however I don't, even though Xander is an asshole sometimes, I'll be the first to admit that. I don't think he would do it if it genuinely hurt her. Because Cordelia never, ever seems hurt about somebody calling her a slut or whatever. She just snaps right back at him just as hard. And it just rolls right off her back and she starts it as many times as he starts it. Um, so... I don't know that I am that offended by the slut shaming that Xander does towards Cordelia because she does not seem put off by it at all and she fires right back. And obviously they really like each other. So that's the way that they interact for some weird reason. So I don't, I don't, I'll probably have more to say about that later, but, um, I just want to throw that out there that even though it sucks that he does that slut shamey thing to her um, and there are times whenever I think it's inappropriate but um, most of the time she just fires right back at him so it just negates the whole thing anyway. Um, we see Oz and Willow having a conversation together. He, he just sort of approaches her in this episode and um, asks her if she's going to like join the the computer 
secret computer society thing that they were in the seminar for the day before. And she's like, I think I'll finish high school first. And they just start talking and getting to know each other. And it's just so cute. I love Oz. I love Oz and Willow. Um, so at the school, at the freaking school, the third assassin. So you've already seen the worm guy and the guy that Buffy killed in the last episode on the skating rink. This is the third, and we knew that there were going to be three. Um, she's just this redheaded cop chick that is the head of her law enforcement seminar at school during career day. She just takes out her gun and starts shooting at Buffy in school. So this is pre-Columbine. <laughs> um, we'll actually get into next season, so next year. There was an episode of Buffy that... Um, had to do with guns in school, like, as part of the plot. And it was ready to air when Columbine happened, and they had to push it back a few months. So that particular episode, whenever we get to that point, since I'm watching every episode of Buffy 20 years after its original air date, I'll have to watch it out of order because it didn't originally air until months after it was supposed to air because of Columbine. But um, I was just thinking, you know, this is a pre-Columbine world, so I don't think they would be able to show guns in school on a TV show anymore. Um, it was just, it was just kind of jarring for a second that she just like pulls out a gun and starts shooting at Buffy and there are kids everywhere in the halls. Um, and so cute. Oz just dives in front of Willow because um, she's in the middle of the crossfire and he gets shot in the arm. And so he just like saves Willow's life. Like they just met and he's just loves her so much already. I love Oz and Willow's love so much. And this particular rewatching of Buffy, I like Willow more than I knew normally do. Like I normally just kind of feel pretty lukewarm towards Willow for some reason, even though, and probably because I'm the most like her out of any of the other characters. I think, you know, if I were to take a which Buffy main character are you quiz, I would get Willow most likely. Um, I mean, I'm not as smart and nerdy as her, but um, I used to watch Buffy before I went to bed every night. And when I would dream about Buffy, inevitably, because I watched it right before bed, I would always dream from the perspective of Willow. <laughs> Almost always. <laughs> so if that's not telling about my psyche, I don't know what is. Anyway, I'm liking Willow as a character more during this rewatching, so it makes it even more enjoyable how much I love Oz and how much I love the way he loves her and how he is the perfect on-screen boyfriend of all time. Like, I don't even know if there's an example of him being terrible. Well, I guess, you know, the fact that he kind of cheated on her towards the end. But we'll get into that. That's years from now. Literal years from now. Okay, so later they're all hanging out in the library. Um, everybody's Andrew and Cordelia are there at this point. Kendra's there. They're all like regrouping, getting ready, whittling steaks, getting ready for they know the ritual's going to happen tonight. So, um, and there's just this cute little, in the last episode, I talked about um, how Buffy's little knee injury thing has been a very subtle 
thing. Like she hurt her knee on the ice and then they've just kind of shown her sort of limping a little bit and, you know, stuff like that and just haven't really brought it up. But, and there's another little um, moment of continuity in this episode. It's just this one tiny little moment where Buffy is sitting up on the counter as they're talking in the library and Willow is wrapping her knee with a bandage. So it's like just this tiny little moment in the background of like, hey, Buffy's knee's still injured. You know, that's still a thing. I don't know why. I just love little details like that. Um, Let's see. (laughs) At one point, it's um, Kendra and Buffy are hanging out in, um, hanging out. (laughs) I mean, I guess they're not hanging out. Buffy is like sharpening her knives and shit and doing a terrible job at it, by the way. Even I noticed, and I'm not like a person that knows how to sharpen a knife, but (laughs) she's doing it all wrong. But anyway, um, Buffy's like sharpening her knives and whittling steaks and stuff, getting ready. And Kendra's in there with her and it's just the two of them. And they just have this nice little bonding conversation. It's really, it's really nice. Um, And that's when we find out that Kendra was sent to her watcher as a child and she doesn't even remember her parents and her whole life has just been focused on being the slayer. Um, And it's been very serious and all that stuff. And, um... Buffy tells her, like, you're really good. Your technique is flawless. It's better than mine. But I would have won in the end because my emotions give me power and I can improvise and blah, blah, blah. And and she's being a little, like, boastful and braggy in that moment. But she has a point. And um, <laughs> at one point she, she says something about... Um, how she can't wait for this whole thing to be over. She's going to get pineapple pizza. She's going to have a teen movie night. Or possibly something from the Ringwald oeuvre, she says. Um, so that was just a cute little moment. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and part of the reason why Buffy tells Kendra that she would have won in the end is that she is doing it right now. She's improvising. She's doing it to get a rise out of Kendra. And whenever Kendra reacts, like saying, hey, let's go right now. I can kick your ass right now. Um, Buffy looks at her and she just has like this cute little snarky, like, I just love her face in this moment where she says, um, that would be anger you're feeling. So she, you know, because they're talking about how her emotions give her power and all that stuff. And she's making a point. It's it's a nice little scene. Um, dun, dun, dun. It's uh, I've put in my notes. It's almost too bad Angel didn't die here because things are about to get real fucking dark. The dark power that's going to rise in Sunnydale is not Drusilla. It's Angel. So. Yeah. It's it's almost sad that he doesn't die in this ritual because we'd be saved so much pain. But that's part of why this show is such a good show because it's able to really twist that knife in your gut. And if if it wasn't for that heartbreak that we're about to experience in this season, would this show be as good? Probably not. Um, let's see. Buffy Buffy is about to be forever changed. I I wrote that in my notes. Like, she really is, like, the sort of, like, buoyant, I don't know, effervescent quality of Buffy as a character that we get in the first season and a half. 
we will never get again. Like once this pain is released in her, whenever Angel loses his soul, she's never the same. So I think that is really great, a great testament to the writing, but it, it's just kind of, it's bittersweet too, because you know that like that element in her, she's just never going to be as carefree ever again. Very soon, Angel's going to lose his soul and everything's going to get really, really, really painful for everyone involved. Um, I Like I said in the last episode, I really like the way this whole ritual is. I just think this is a good ritual as far as like fake magical rituals on TV are concerned. Like they need the blood of her maker. Makes total sense. They need like a big cross. Um, it. I don't know, just the way they execute this entire ritual. I just, I just like it. I don't know what else to say about it. Um, now we're into, I'm talking about the very last scene here where they're all at the church um, and Kendra shows up. So why, Wiley, <laughs> Willie leads Buffy to Spike with the intention of handing her over to him so that he can kill her. And Spike's like, what the fuck are you doing here right now? Why would you bring the Slayer in the middle of this ritual? Damn it, Willie. <laughs> God damn it, Willie. You always fuck everything up. But um, so it was just going to be Buffy. And Kendra and Buffy had had a fight up to this point. Um, because Kendra said, Angel's a vampire. He should die. Like, I understand you like him and everything, but he should die. And so you think that she's not going to help. But she does. She shows up. And right after Kendra shows up, I think everybody else must have been with her. They must have all shown up kind of at the same time. Xander Cordelia show up. Willow and Giles show up. Willow and Giles kind of work together to dust a couple of vampires. Um, Giles dusts one by himself. And at one point, probably Willow's first vampire dusting, I would assume. Um, It's just like this tiny little moment where Willow yells to Giles, like, hold him still or something like that. And she stakes him. And then... um, the shot goes away for a second and then comes back and you see Giles like uh, dusting um, vampire ashes off of his tweed coat. And I just thought that was a great touch, which every tiny little movement that Anthony Stewart head does as Giles, um, he's just, he's so good with props. Like he has to do these long execution scenes all the time. Execution. Is that right? What's that word where you explain a lot of things? <laughs> it's not execution. Expedition. Expedition? <laughs> I think so. Why can't I remember that word? Anyway, as an actor, he has to do these really long scenes where he explains what the fuck's going on all the goddamn time. And he makes it interesting because he's... Watch him, seriously. Watch him because he'll... Not only does he do the thing where he takes his glasses off and cleans his glasses, which is a cliche, but he doesn't actually do it that often. Like he's always like eating an apple or he's just he's always doing something that just makes him so believable as a human being because he's just he's doing things. He's living his life. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I love him so much. Anyway, so Giles gets a kill. 
Um, Willow gets a kill. Xander and Cordelia kill the the bug guy, which, <laughs> whatever. They just kind of, like, say his name and he chases after them. Like, he's a very unfocused bounty hunter because he's supposed to be killing Buffy, but he doesn't even know who she is, it seems like. Like, she never even interacts with this guy. <laughs> He's the worst bounty hunter ever because like they just basically say his name and then they run away and he chases after them like a big dummy and they close the door in his face so he dematerializes into his bug form so he can slither under the door and just be the most predictable of dude made of worms could possibly be and on the other side of the door they've put a whole bunch of liquid adhesive so all the worms just like crawl into the adhesive and then they stomp on them seriously (laughs) like whatever I guess it's funny I guess they were just meant to be the comic relief that was really the only reason like we were actually supposed to be threatened by this bounty hunter guy I guess this worm guy (laughs) whatever um so again we're seeing that Buffy is different because of her connections to people this is again this point is being driven home for not the first time and definitely won't be the last like if Buffy had shown up there by herself, it would have been her against Spike, Drusilla. I mean, Drusilla's in the middle of this restoration thing, so she's out of commission at the moment. But as soon as her strength was restored, you know, she probably would have killed Buffy. Um, and all of Spike's gang and Willie, like, it would have been all of those people plus two of the Order of Taraka because the the girl with the gun ran away earlier when she didn't, whenever Kendra and Buffy both went up against her in the school. She ran away and Buffy didn't go after her for some weird reason. So she's there. Um, and the other, and the worm guy, so I guess they're just there as bodyguards in case Buffy shows up. Um, whatever. Anyway, so she would have died. In the scene, she would have died if she were any other slayer by herself. But since Buffy does not come by herself, she comes with friends. She, you know, and everybody helps out killing people. And uh, at the end, it's just Spike and Drusilla. He realizes as the church is starting to get burned down that they need to get the fuck out of there. So even though the ritual isn't over because Angel's not dead, he... um pulls the knife out of her hand and um carries her off and she's like unconscious and that's when Buffy does the thing where she swings the incense burner and she hits him and then the organ comes down and they all get out so you assume that they're dead but guess what I guess I guess we can wait for a second because I think that's the very last scene so um you see them leave you assume that Spike and Drusilla are dead. Um, it's the next morning. Oz um, Willow goes up to Oz to thank him for saving her life. His arm is in a sling and everything. He's um, getting some animal crackers out of the vending machine. And um, she wants to thank him. And he's like, oh, I don't do thanks. I get all weird. And, and so she still thanks him for saving her life and um he just sort of deflects by like talking about animal crackers and just like just being weird and cute and and just cute so cute so cute and then at one point um willow's just amused by his weird 
babble about animal crackers. And so she smiles at him. And he just, like, without skipping a beat, just says, you have the sweetest smile I've ever seen. And then, tiny pause, he goes right back into his animal cracker story so that she doesn't have to, like, you know, awkwardly react to that whole thing. And it's just, he's, he's the best. Like, if a boy in high school had ever flirted with me the way that Oz is flirting with Willow, we'd still be together. I mean, really. (laughs) Oz is a keeper. Oh my god, I love him so much. Anyway, so there's that cute little scene. Um, Xander decides to talk to Cordelia about what happened between them and how it can never happen again or whatever, whatever. And then they start fighting again. They start kissing again, of course. Um, And then... Buffy is seeing Kendra off. Like, apparently she's going back to wherever she came from. First of all, why did her watcher send her there completely by herself? Why wouldn't he go too? I don't know. Whatever. But I guess they're not... it's, 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 It's a different world. She's from the traditional Slayer world of fighting alone, I guess. I guess. So they think they've thwarted the dark power that's about to rise in Sunnydale. But they haven't. But there's still a hellmouth in Sunnydale. Like, why wouldn't Kendra stay? She should stay and help. Like, that makes more sense to me. But she doesn't. So Buffy's seeing her off in the car. And she's going to go back. And they just have this little moment where um, Buffy's talking about being the Slayer as being a job or whatever. And Kendra's like, you always do that. You talk about being a Slayer as if it's a job. It's not a job. It's who you are. And that is just a nice, a nice little cap to this whole two-parter of like, who am I? What will I be when I grow up? I don't know, because I'm a slayer, so I can't really be anything. Wine, wine, wine. But you already are something. I don't know. So it's, it's a good message. It's kind of like fuzzy, I feel like. Um... But that's that's how we end it with um, Kendra and Buffy. And then the very last scene, you see Drusilla picking Spike up with one arm. Just pulling him out of the rubble with one arm as if he's nothing. So you've never seen her, like, even, like walking normally she's been a weakling this entire time and she's just lifted spike with one arm and he's unconscious and he's all burnt but drusilla is totally restored and she's a badass and she just lifts him up and she's like i'm gonna make you strong again like i am and she carries him out of the church so um that was a good moment that was a really good moment i love drusilla Um, I know it's confusing. It's really confusing to my mom, which means it's probably confusing to other people why I love Drusilla so much. Um, In my research, I have several books that I consult for every episode. There's a whole chapter on Drusilla in the book Sex and the Slayer, which is a gender studies um, academic book about Buffy. And they spend a whole chapter on Drusilla talking about how she is sort of the what they would call the disruptive female. Like she's crazy. Um, She's never seen without in any plot line revolving Drusilla. She's never seen without being defined opposite Angel 
or Spike. You know, so they were just kind of, they were just being dismissive of her. And I don't know, like, maybe that's a thing. Like, I do hate that she just doesn't ever really, we don't ever really get to see her story by itself. We get to see Angel's story. We get to see Spike's story. Um, but we don't, we don't really get much of Drew. I guess at one point we do get a little bit of Drusilla's history, but they just don't really feature her. And I guess they are kind of dismissive of her because of how crazy she is. And, but I, I just love her so much. And I have this whole headcanon with Drusilla, which I've mentioned many times before. And I will mention it many more times where I think she was probably a potential slayer. If she hadn't become a vampire, um, she could have become a slayer if, you know, another slayer died during her lifetime. Um, I really do think so. I think she was a potential. I think she, you know, she, yeah, I think she's that special. And I don't know, I don't see her in the diminutive light that the Sex and the Slayer book sees her. Um, but I'm biased. Um, let's see. Oh, I thought it was an interesting, um, they did point out in Sex and the Slayer that at the beginning of this ritual, Drusilla is in a black dress and it's like just a really beautiful gothic flowy like I think the sleeves are like sheer and it's it's in her style of clothing like the empire waist long dress thing that she's she's been doing this entire time that we've known her but up until now she's always worn either like white nightgowns or white dresses and um, she's been shown as weak this entire time and right as this ritual starts, for the first time ever, you're seeing her in a black dress. And they point out in Sex and the Slayer that she adopts Spike's traditional color scheme of black and red after she's restored to her full health. Like, we don't see her in as much white from now on. So I'm going to definitely be paying attention to that. Like, I, I did notice that she's wearing a black dress for the first time at the beginning of this ritual, but I just didn't think to myself that, like, from now on, she's going to be wearing darker colors because she's supposed to be more powerful now. Like, that's definitely definitely an intentional thing on the costume designer's part. Um, and um, so that's, that's fun. Little information right there. Um... And also pointed out in Sex and the Slayer, Drew is the only vampire known to kill a slayer in this storyline, um, which I, I'd be curious to see if that's actually true. But to my memory, that might be right. Um, so Spike is the only vampire other than Spike is what I meant, um, that she's the only vampire other than Spike to kill a slayer because Spike has killed two slayers in the past and Drusilla is about to spoiler alert kill Kendra later in this season at the very end of the season she kills Kendra so unruly female okay yeah I already said that okay oh there's a little moment after the torture scene um when Drew has tortured Angel Spike comes back into the room. It's about time to start the ritual. And so he's like untying Angel and getting ready to like take him to the church or whatever. Whatever. And Angel starts taunting Spike because he wants to get Spike to kill him so that he can't restore Drusilla in the spell because he'll be dead. Um, 
But what he does is he starts just saying all this shit about how Spike is obviously not, um, not fulfilling Drusilla's needs like he can just tell and all this shit and he's just being real convincing about it and that's just a little baby preview of how evil Angel will be once he loses his soul so uh I just thought that was a creepy little moment of foreboding right there and I had to mention it um okay so this podcast is almost an hour long now okay there was something I wanted to read out of the Bite Me episode guide, which if for some reason you want to buy a book episode guide of Buffy, I definitely recommend Bite Me by Nikki Strafford. Oh, Stafford. Sorry. No R. Nikki Stafford. Um, what did I want to read? I wanted to read something from this. Maybe I should pause this so I can find it again. Oh, um, in the Bite Me episode guide, they mention this episode marks a turning point in Buffy. And from now on, she ceases to complain about her job. Um, so I, I'm curious to see if that's true. Like she is probably going to complain about being the slayer again, but not talking about it as if it's a job. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it'll it'll be interesting to to pay attention to that from now on if I remember to do so. Um, so it's time to get into my ratings. Um, first of all, let's talk about, no, let's not do that yet. Let's talk about, okay, quote, favorite quote. Um, there were a lot of good moments, like just good little quips here and there. But I think my favorite quote is when Spike tells Willie that he will wear his guts for garters if he says anything, um, just the guts for garters quote. And whenever he called Drusilla, his, his black goddess, his, um, what was it? My black goddess, my ripe, wicked plum. So, um, yeah, (laughs) those are my two favorite quotes. Just, just little things that Spike said in this episode, apparently. Um, the, object of desire of this episode I always like to pick an object from the episode that I'd like to pluck directly out of the tv screen and have for myself and for me that is the um the little crochet netting that was over Drusilla's bed um canopy beds scare me because I had one as a child and it scared me that's basically that whole story but I thought it was haunted So I don't know if I'd want it to be a canopy, but if it were just some sort of crocheted netting, like those mosquito nets that went over your bed. So it is the object of affection, but I kind of want to alter it in order to have it for myself. Just a huge crochet mosquito net over the top portion of my my bed. That would be pretty damn cool. It'd be a bitch to mess with all the time, but it'd be cool looking. Um, The outfit of the episode, there really weren't any good outfits in this episode Buffy just for the entire episode was still wearing the whole flannel situation that she had in the first part of the episode that I um I already called that my favorite episode in the last my favorite outfit in the last episode so for this episode I think my favorite outfit is Drusilla's black dress because it symbolizes her not being a weakling anymore so I think I will enjoy her even more as a character from now on because she will no longer be a weakling 
um, most valuable player of the episode, again, it's Drusilla. Because she gets some vindicated torture upon Angel. She pulls Spike out of the wreckage. So she saves his life. We wouldn't have Spike, a character that we will love for many years to come. We would not have him anymore if she had left him there to die. And she didn't because she loves him. And Spike and Drusilla have a beautiful love. Okay. So Drusilla is definitely my MVP of the episode. So now let's get into my ratings. Uh, My five by five rating. So I always do a rating of up to five for enjoyability and of up to five for the clarity of the episode. So what I think, since Joss Whedon's um, premise of this show is to take adolescent situations, um, regular adolescent situations, and put a metaphor on them, a horror movie metaphor on them. Um, so how well do I think he got that particular message across in this episode. So as far as enjoyability, I'm giving this episode a four. I like it a lot. Um, I don't really have complaints with it. Like as a two-parter, this whole thing is good. It's good. Um, I may just take the average of my ratings from the two parts for my final assessment. I should do that, right? Yeah. Okay, so I give this this episode alone as part two by itself a four. As far as clarity, like I know what they're trying to say. I mean, they basically just outright said it at the end that being a slayer is not a job, it's who you are. And I get that that's what they're trying to say with this whole thing. How it relates to a typical situation in an adolescent's life, which is what I think think they're trying to do most of the time I don't know how that fits I I don't know how that works into regular life into a non-slayer's life (laughs) so I gave it a three because it seemed kind of unclear to me it seemed clear what they were trying to say about Buffy but what they're trying to say about us I don't know and maybe they weren't so since I'm confused it gets a three So this episode overall gets a 12. So let's match that up with what I gave the last episode. The last episode I gave a 15 because I gave it a 5 and um, 3 for clarity as well. Um, So let's average those two. Let's see. So just take between 15 and 12, I guess. What does that make that? 13 and a half? Right? Yeah. Okay. So that means this two-parter, What's My Line from season two of Buffy, gets a 13 and a half as its final rating. Um, thank you guys for listening so much. If you would like to contact me, you can do so via email at mixtressradio at gmail.com. Or you can find me on any of my social medias. I'm under Mixtress Ray and message me there. Um, and I will see you guys next. Ooh, is it next week? I don't think it is next week. I think we have to wait. Let me check. Okay. I think we have to wait a week. Yep, we do. Because the next episode of Buffy is called Ted. And it didn't air until December 8th. So we have to wait two weeks until the next episode. So I'm sorry, you guys. I guess that makes it a little 
less of a blow that I'm posting this episode two days late because that means we are two days closer to the next episode. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for listening tonight and I will talk to you guys next time. Bye!